welcome to the study of God's Word recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. All right. If you guys would go ahead and open up with me to Luke chapter 24, uh, the Gospel of Luke. If you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, halfway through there is a section that says New Testament, about halfway, a little more than halfway, and uh, it would be the third book to the right, would be the Gospel of Luke. So we're going to be in chapter 24, and we're going to start at verse 13. And the reason why I chose this passage, even though it's not a very Christmassy message, is because uh, God's just been turning it in my heart. Uh, It's been weighing in my heart. I didn't know that I would be teaching until uh, Friday. And so uh, when it came up, I was like, oh, I I think this is why the Lord has given this to me. And so I want to be faithful to bring it. But even at Christmas, as we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, we remind ourselves that the king has come, that he is establishing his kingdom, that his reign is coming. We read 600 years before Jesus was born in Isaiah chapter 9. It's prophesied and said of Jesus that the people who were walking in darkness, they saw a great light and the light shone upon them, right? And so the Lord is establishing the kingdom of Jesus, and it's ever-expanding. It's an ever-expanding empire of grace that Jesus is putting together, and the Lord is establishing this kingdom by his zeal. And so as we, we think about that and we remember that, we remember that the point of our faith is reconciliation and intimacy with the Lord. Setting aside sin, setting aside everything that encumbers us, and going after Jesus as hard as we can. And that is the, the focal point of our faith. And so this morning, as we take in and we join these guys as they're traveling on the road to Emmaus, which is a little town outside of Jerusalem, about seven miles down the road, uh, we're going to find them in a very uh, difficult spot. You see, these guys were in a place where they had felt a lot of expectancy for what God might do in their life. They were excited to join him in his ministry. They were excited for the things that he spoke. When Jesus was in the room, power went forth. And they watched that. And they began to let that stir within them more and more and more messianic expectation. Uh, They were excited for what he might do. And for a few different reasons— One, he would be prophetic fulfillment that the prophets had talked about for centuries. But on the other hand, what would also happen in a very uh, patriotic political sense for these guys was they lived in an occupied country. They were not in control and in a complete or total way of their lives. The Romans oversaw what happened. And so they were waiting for this king to come, to rise up, to overthrow the Roman government, and that they would have their freedom, and that they would be able to walk and move in the ways that they had only dreamed of. And so they had a a certain kind of desperation that drove them. And Jesus likes desperation, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, the Sermon on the Mount, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the blessing is, if they do this, they will be filled. It's a promise. They will be filled. So these guys, they take Jesus at his word. They're his disciples, and they want to walk with him. They want to be around him when he is doing things. They want to be near, just the, the little everyday things, the big things, whatever, it doesn't matter. I just want to be by him. I just want to be in the room with him. And so as they, they have this excitement and, and Jesus has come and he's left the throne room of heaven and Jesus has chosen to come and to be born into poverty, to be born and to live in a backwater town of Nazareth and to come up learning a trade of carpentry. And then Jesus would begin a ministry where some people loved him, some people exploited him, some people hated him. They didn't respect the throne of heaven. They didn't respect his kingship. 
And so Jesus put himself through that. He was betrayed. He was murdered violently. And that's where we find these guys, is these guys followed after the Lord with a lot of desperation. And now everything has come to a screeching halt. They murdered Jesus. Now what? What are we supposed to do? Where do we go? Uh, We definitely did not see this coming. This is uh, something that is horrific. It's traumatizing in a lot of ways for these guys. And so they're on this road and they are beginning to discuss what's going on. And and sometimes this morning, uh, I want to encourage you that if you're in a similar place where you're feeling despair for whatever reason, even though the holidays are a time where you're supposed to, uh, in our minds, be happy, Uh, sometimes we pretend or whatever, I want to encourage you just to be honest with the Lord. These guys had some very real questions and some very real concerns about what was going to be next. They wanted the kind of power that Jesus offered. They wanted the kind of hope and faith and love that they saw in Jesus' eyes when they were with him. And now that he was gone, who knows in their mind? And it's very important, I think, for us, uh, maybe a helpful illustration is this idea of a lightning rod, right? And so lightning rods are set up to handle power, right? Lightning strikes it, they hit it, it goes to the bottom, and it disperses because it's grounded. When you're not grounded and you try to handle power, it's bad. It explodes, it causes a mess, it can destroy things. And so these guys, in their context, in verse 13, they're beginning to try to make sense of the power that they they saw was happening versus where they are now. And so it says, now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was that while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near, and he went along with them. It's interesting. These guys, uh, we will learn as we go through the passage, had heard that Jesus was gone. He was killed. They put his body in a tomb. Uh, Some women who were also disciples with them had gone along to the tomb and the stone was rolled away and Jesus' body was gone. And so you would think that these guys would give any kind of a a glimmer of hope (laughs) that maybe Jesus was who he said he was. But what happens when you're in fear, when you're in anxiety or despair is you don't think rationally. You're not remembering things. You're so enveloped in what you're feeling and in what's going on at this moment. And so these guys are trying to, they're trying to sort it out and they're walking this lonely road and they had to learn a lesson because in this moment, they were unhappy with God. They were unhappy that God did not do things in the way that they expected. And because he didn't do things the way that they expected, um, they were left in a lurch in their mind. But these guys had to understand and they had to learn how to follow and not try to lead what God was doing. They had to understand that they needed to wait on him. If you're taking notes this morning, the first point that I would have you consider is we cannot walk in power until we learn how to walk in submission. These guys wanted to be way out ahead of Jesus. They wanted to take his power. They wanted it to play out in the way that they were thinking. And they had to learn instead to submit to what the Lord had for them. So that way, when the power came at Pentecost, they would have the right perspective in using that power. And a lot of times we think in terms of, Jesus, you order our daily walk. You take care of things, which is true. And it says, George Mueller, sorry, the great British evangelist, he said, God orders our steps, but he also orders our stops. God doesn't just take us forward. Sometimes God makes us 
cause. We need to wait upon him. And waiting is hard. Waiting is difficult. It's not something that we particularly savor or enjoy. Uh, We may enjoy it more if we're in a season of waiting that we have appointed, where we're comfortable, we feel good about things. It is not comfortable to wait in a season of pain. It's very, very hard to just sit and wait on the Lord to move in a way that we don't expect or we don't see. And so Jesus knows what's going on. He understands. He's drawing near. As he draws near, he's listening to them reason. And they're trying logically in the very natural order of things to come up with any kind of a, like a grid to somehow plot out what has happened to them. What on earth could be going on? And so as they reason, we wonder what they're talking about. And in verse 21, it'll, it'll go on, it'll give us a clue, but we know that at least some of the things that happened was they didn't believe that Jesus had, had risen or was maybe who he said he was because they were really wrestling in this moment. Fear had hijacked their perspective. And so they're struggling through these things and we don't know what they said, but maybe they felt bad for the women who showed up at the tomb. They're like, man, they're just... It's confirmation bias. They're seeing the things that they want to see. Uh, you know, it's kind of sad. I wish he was alive, you know, and, and I love Jesus too. And maybe they just can't accept the reality of the natural order of things. People live and people die. But you see, what was happening was Jesus wasn't doing anything natural. He was doing something supernatural. It required different vision to trust the Lord in this season where these guys were. So as they're reasoning, it says in verse 16, or sorry, at the end of 15, it says, while they conversed in reason, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes uh, were restrained so that they did not know him. Mark chapter 16, verse 12, it says that he appeared to them in a form that they did not recognize. You see, even in the middle of their pain and their struggling, Jesus was there. Even when they didn't recognize how he was present or what it is that he had for them, it didn't make it any less true that Jesus was there among them. So Jesus comes to them and he's walking with them. And you think about how interesting this is that Jesus knows what's going on. And Jesus doesn't avoid them. He doesn't think, I'm going to hop to some people who are in a better mood or who have more faith or in a better place. But Jesus chooses to stop with these men on this road outside of Jerusalem. And we don't know why they left Jerusalem. It had been three days. Maybe they were so discouraged because the women had told them that and they just couldn't believe it, that they needed to get out of town. I don't know why. But for whatever reason, these guys are headed down the road and Jesus draws near to them in the middle of their despair. And so as he comes to them, in verse 17, it says, he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one of those whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which had happened in these days? And in verse 19, it says, and he said to them, What things? Jesus wasn't confused about why these guys were struggling. Jesus didn't approach them because they were in a good place. Jesus approached them because he loves them. Jesus approached them in tenderness and in compassion because these guys were wounded. If you could look with spiritual eyes at these guys' heart, these guys' hopes in their minds, you would see deep gashes, deep wounding, upon them. And Jesus doesn't push them out. He doesn't push them away. He doesn't move past them. He doesn't skip them because they're wrestling. Jesus draws near to them. If you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write down this thought. Fear can't be a substitute for the goodness of God in your life. You know, sometimes we get into seasons that we don't understand seasons that we dislike significantly, and we begin to try and work things out ourselves, or we begin to panic, or we have anxieties, and we 
kind of find ourselves obsessing about how we think things are going. Clearly, Jesus is alive. He's with them. They don't see that. And so from their perspective, fear is all there is. And their temptation is to lean into this fear and let it engulf them. So as they're, they're working through this, they're fighting through this, fear can make you do some really weird things. But praise God that he has not given us a spirit of fear. Amen? He's given us a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and he's given us a, a sound mind. And so the church, in times where we're facing great tests, we're facing difficult things, we cannot reach out for fear because there will be nothing there. It's intimidation. It's an illusion. It's a process that we go through in our minds of looking forward, but removing hope from the equation. These guys had vision, and their vision was bad. It was not pretty what they thought was happening here. There was a prominent pastor who shared that in a more succinct way, and he just said, you know, fear is the gift of vision without hope. It's looking forward to the things that you think will play out in a certain way, and you begin to suck and remove anything good, anything that looks like the graciousness and goodness of God out of that equation until what you're left with is somewhere you don't want to be, but you're not sure how to get out of it. And so if you're in that place this morning, and I want to encourage you, don't be afraid. Jesus is near. Don't run away from the processes that God has set in motion in your life, the things that he has set for you to walk in from before you were born. Let it play out. Trust the Father. You see, all the prophecy didn't go by the wayside. All the power, the kingdom, the might of the king of glory, the one who was there in creation, the one who oversaw everything, it didn't pass away. It didn't crumble because some religious leaders didn't like it and decided to poison him and go after him by poisoning the minds of one of his followers who would betray him. But we get so crazy and so bound up in the natural order of things, we forget how big our God is. We forget how strong he is. You forget what he pulled you from. And he is not in a position of weakness or knowing defeat this morning. God doesn't know fear. He doesn't feel it. God is not concerned about what's going to happen. God is not shaky in his confidence of his identity. God doesn't stay up at night with ulcers, wondering how things are going to play out. That is not the God we serve. The God we serve is the commander of the armies of heaven. At creation in Genesis, when he spoke everything into being, literally all matter formed and bent around his words. That is your king this morning. So as we look at this, we have to remember that the deepest kinds of faith often emerge from the most strenuous and difficult circumstances. And if you find yourself there this morning where you don't know what the next step will be, let God take it for you. Do not surrender it. So we read on. In verse 19, Jesus is asking him what things, not because he doesn't know. He wants them to talk. He's getting them to open up. Jesus is inviting them to share their pain. From our perspective, how awkward, right? <laughs> We're complaining about Jesus to Jesus because we don't like how Jesus is doing things, right? So from our perspective, I'm like, oh, it's a cringeworthy moment. But from this perspective, Jesus is the only one who has full access and knowledge here, and he is drawing them out. He is inviting their concerns. He is inviting them to have very real and honest conversations with him. Jesus likes it when you're raw with him. Jesus invites it. It's okay. It is okay. You know, it's a good reminder for us as Jesus does these things that we don't need to be afraid of people when they're in despair, struggling. We don't need to give people cliches. 
We don't need to try and patch it up or put a Band-Aid on it. Jesus isn't a Band-Aid. And Jesus doesn't heal halfway. Jesus heals fully and completely with the authority of heaven. And so when we meet people that are in these positions, it's important for us to remember that we need to be concerned for helping them progress in their walk, helping them move forward. We need to disciple them in a way that invites them and encourages them to take the next step. We never shame. Jesus didn't shame. Jesus engaged them. And so it reminds me of a quote by the founder of the Vineyard Movement. His name was John Wember. And he said, when raising the bar becomes more important than helping people over it, we've missed the call of the kingdom. When we are more concerned about making things difficult and making people behave a certain way than seeing them transformed, we've missed it. We missed it. Our messes are no threat to Jesus' majesty. He's not afraid of what we're going to say. He already knows. He's inviting them to lean on him, to rest on him, because it is the only support that will last. It is the only sure thing that they will be able to put their weight and their hope into. And so they begin this process of unloading their hearts to Jesus. And it says, so they said to him, well, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. Can you pick up on the tone of their voice? Can you pick up on the things that they're focused on? Right? Their giants are consuming their entire field of vision, their entire scope has been consumed with the things that have gone like they weren't expecting and how bitter they are about that. In verse 21, we get a little bit of crushing insight into where these guys are, but it's important to recognize that Jesus allows them to continue. He says, but we were hoping. But we were hoping. Do you get what he's saying? They had hoped that God would come through. They had hoped that God would do something. They had hoped that he would see me drowning. He would see me struggling. He would see my depression. He would see the addiction that I, that I wrestle with or how hard I'm trying. I just, I can't get it right. We were hoping that he was this person, right? We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things had happened. So it's fresh on their mind. For them, it was this morning when they thought Jesus' body had been taken. For them, they're living in a very real personal torment. It says in verse 22, Yes, and a certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us, when they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with him, <clears throat> sorry, who were with us, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. Catch on to this part though. But him they did not see. Jesus wants to say something at this moment. He's listened. He understands where they're coming from. He's heard their concerns, but he is not about to let fear and doubt dominate the topic of conversation. He is not going to let the enemy who thought he had just won a great victory and crushing the church before it got started, he's not going to let it take root here. And Jesus is going to say something, and he's going to address what's happening. So in verse 25, it says, Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures and the things concerning him. You know, what's really interesting about this is Jesus understands that to push back, he needs to ground them again. Ground them in the word. Ground them in what they know to be true. These guys are living in a hurricane of emotions. 
There's a lot of swirl that's going on in their life. And so Jesus has to fix their feet. He has to anchor them. And so he begins by saying, like, guys, here's the thing. Verse 26, you knew that the Christ had to suffer so that God's glory could go forward. And then what he does is he opens it up to them. He doesn't leave them with a quick, gentle rebuke. He takes them into Scripture. He draws them deeper. Jesus is always drawing you deeper. So he begins to open up the Scriptures, and as he's expounding, he's explaining about himself to these guys. And as Jesus is speaking, you can feel in the Scripture, in the passage, something is happening. They're starting to shed some fear. I vaguely remember, yeah, Jesus said something like that. Oh yeah, there, there's a lot of prophecy written on this. Oh yes, the Lord has established his word. And so what's happening is the heart that had stopped because of everything they had experienced begins to pump a little bit. You're feeling something. Jesus is not taking out a smoldering wick. He's not breaking off a bruised reed. He's meeting these guys where they are and pushing back because he's allowing their faith to be revived, to be restored. The words Jesus speaks is not to abuse authority, to shame them. Some of us grew up in homes maybe where we felt shame, where authority was used in inappropriate ways. And it's hard to not transfer what we have experienced into other positions of authority. But that is not how Jesus deals with things. And so, as this is going on, Jesus in a very real way is dismantling the stronghold that the enemy has begun to build in their life, in their thought process, in their view. And it's important that Jesus does this by establishing what is laid out supernaturally right? Because this is a living book. As you read the scripture, it reads you. Wherever you are in your journey, God has a word for you. He has not abandoned you. He has not forgotten about you. And he has not left your side. He will never leave you or forsake you. And so as he's speaking this and he's pushing back these guys, they're, they're starting to get excited. They're starting to think, well, maybe God is doing something bigger than I knew. Maybe there is something grander going on here. Verse 28, it says, Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward the evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. I hope you notice what's happening here. Jesus is dashing the hopes of hell. The hopes that uh, they would come to subtly believe in the enemy hijacking God's plan. Subtly focusing on the power of the enemy instead of the power of the Lord. And Jesus is dismantling that. And as this is happening, something very important is happening. They don't want him to leave. Jesus is going to be Moving on, it looks like. And they don't know that it's Jesus, but they know the faith and the presence of God. And it is a hook for them. And so they, they were restrained in their vision before. They couldn't see who he was. But now it's them who's doing the constraining. Don't leave us. Stay, Jesus. Stay with us. Like, they don't understand that it's Jesus once again, but they understand the presence and the life that's on the word of God. In John chapter 6, when Jesus is addressing a certain situation, he says, the words that I speak to you are both spirit and life. They're both truth and their presence. The presence of God rests within his words because Jesus is the living word. So as he is speaking these things, as they're beginning to take on heaven's perspective, they say, Jesus, don't go. Just, just be with us a little bit longer. And so he goes in with them. In verse 30, 
It says, Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them, and he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. What just happened? <laughs> Jesus, he, he came in, he had dinner with them, they broke bread, they ate together, and all of a sudden, they shifted fields of vision. Their natural order came colliding and smashing down underneath the supernatural reign of God, the order of God. He was doing something bigger and not just something good and not just something that we were happy about. This blew away everything that we thought he might be up to. And their eyes were opened in a second and they realized just exactly what had happened, who they were pouring their hearts out to, how tender, how compassionate he had been with them. And they began to understand that the way that God lays things out are solid. You can put weight into it. You can trust it. Just like in the natural order of things, you have, uh, take it, for example, uh, the law of gravity. And you'll meet somebody along the way and they'll say, well, I, I don't care much for gravity. It's like, well, I don't really care that you don't care much for gravity because it is what it is. You jump off that thing and you're going to fall. It is what it is because it's just the way things function. You can like it, you cannot like it, but it is how things are laid out. And so in the spiritual realm, there's a similar dynamic here. There's a principle that's happening as when Jesus lays out what he is going to do, who he is, and what he can do within your life, those principles are ever steady. They're not rocked, right? And so you might not like who Jesus is. You might not like how Jesus has done things. It is nothing against the power of God right? It, it can't stand against the power of what Jesus is doing. And so as he's doing this, as they're becoming quickened, they're becoming awakened, we remember John chapter 1, verse 14. And it reads like this, and it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word that says Jesus dwelt among us, the original idea is that he tabernacled. The idea is that when he left heaven and he came, he didn't leave it because he thought humanity was so much farther along. He thought you were going to be such a better disciple than you are. He's not confused about that. He tabernacled. The idea is that he literally pitched his tent among humanity. He chose it because he loves you. Not because he thinks that you're somebody else. Not because he has illusions about the things that are going on in your mind right now or the shadows of your heart or the recesses of your quiet times. Jesus knows. And he's here. And he's ready to do something. And so when this word in the flesh is speaking, God's touching their hearts, it's an important reminder for us to remember that we don't need to market Jesus to people. We simply introduce him. Jesus speaks for himself. When you have an encounter with Jesus and you have an embrace of heaven, it changes everything. We don't have to try and convince people or market Jesus in some way or try to get anything uh, that would that would make Jesus more attractive because he simply already is. You just need to meet him, and he's much grander than anything that you could have imagined. And God is quite content with offending your understanding of him if it helps you to understand him in a real way. Does that make sense? Sometimes we look at Jesus as we are instead of as he is. And so the perspective that we have is coming from us instead of coming from him. So these guys are having this, this, uh, this reality check, and all of a sudden they're understanding that uh, the expectations that they had originally are partially true, but they're actually even better. And fear and panic, anxiety, that's not even on the radar anymore because Jesus has just left, but he's left them with hope and with life. And so it carries on here in verse 32. 
And they turned to each other. Now it's just the two of them. And it says, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures to us? If you're taking notes, I want you to consider this thought. The word of Jesus kindles even the weakest of faiths. When Jesus' word goes forward in power and it goes forward unrestrained, what happens is a lot like what the British evangelist Charles Spurgeon shared. He said, the word of God has the power to awaken the conscience and vibrate the soul. These guys, everything that was on them was coming off because they were resonating with who Jesus was, with what he wanted to do. All of a sudden, their perspective faded to heaven's perspective, and they began to understand the gift that they had been given, that death had been crushed, that the strongholds had been shaken and depleted, and that Jesus alone remained supreme. So I want you to consider right now, what is it that Jesus might be speaking to you this morning. You see, if we just read scripture and we understand it and we become good Bereans, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to change us. If you read scripture and you gloss over it and you read it without it affecting your behavior, you read it fruitlessly. This demands a response. What Jesus is doing on the earth today as the enemy would try to intimidate and instill fear and get the church to back down, get the church to hide, get the church to lash out because of whatever the weirdness is. That's not Jesus. And Jesus is not lacking confidence in his plan. Amen? And so in verse 33, they rose up. They mobilized this very hour right away. They get up. He just vanished. They have this quick conversation. And then it says they went the seven miles back to Jerusalem. They hoofed it. They hauled it. <laughs> they went. They, they had to go. And so it says that that very hour they returned to Jerusalem and found the 11, those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Their testimony comes forth. It roars forth. It's like Jesus had just loosed their mouth. They had to speak about it. They had to get it out. They had to share it. They had to build up the body. People had to know who Jesus was. They had to know what Jesus was doing. They had to be a part of it. Jesus is alive. The king has come. He wasn't defeated. Satan doesn't have more power than you think that God does in your life. God reigns supreme. You know, back to that conversation in John chapter 6. Jesus is speaking with his disciples and he's saying, you know, uh, you're going to be eating my flesh and drinking my blood. And some of the ones who were with him heard it and were like, this is crazy. This is weird, weird, weird. And so they left. They just left Jesus, excused themselves, walked away, and they were gone. And what's interesting is in that moment, Jesus asks them, his disciples, are you going to go away too? Will you leave me? Because you don't understand what I'm doing, are you going to abandon me? Is that the value of our friendship? The value of our faith, things, things are hard, you don't understand and you just bail. And Peter speaks up and he says, here's the thing, Jesus, where else could we go? You alone hold the words of life. And that was the same then as it is this morning in your circumstance. There is nowhere to retreat to. We rest on God. We cannot lean on our own understanding. Our vision is bad. We know that we understand and we see only in part. 
One day we'll know fully. But until that time comes, we lean into God. And as Jesus spoke and their heart burned within them, it was like Jesus shot out strings into them. And these strings had hooks and they attached to their minds. The way that they process, the way that they consider things. They shot out and they attached to their hearts the way that they felt, the way that they were uh, progressing and experiencing what was happening. And it shot out to their will. And Jesus challenged them not to give up just because their vision was bad. And so we see in John chapter 1, it tells us that Jesus, who was the living word, was there at the beginning. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 17 say, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Speaking of Jesus, he is the very image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. And it says, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Are you afraid this morning of what's playing out in your life? I would challenge you that Jesus is orchestrating all of creation. Everything that is laid out, the breath that you are breathing as you are hyperventilating, that breath was given to you for another purpose, to share your testimony from Jesus. Everything that we believe and that we see and that we know and don't know exists because God spoke his word into creation. Like we said, creation bent around it and that is what we have today. Hebrews chapter 1, it says that he upholds all things. Some translations say that he upholds the universe. By the power of his word, he upholds your universe from moment to moment. How big is your God today? Is the God that you're following intimidated by the things that you wrestle with? I don't think so. And that's not to make you feel bad. That's to invite you to the feast, a feast of faith. That's to invite you to the things that Jesus has for you that are so much better, so much grander, so much more than even what you think is happening. And you might think some good things are happening. And I promise you, it's way more. Because Jesus didn't merely speak God's word. He is God's word. He is both truth and presence. And when Jesus is in a situation, everything else will submit. Everything else will fade. It might not happen in the way that you want it to happen. It may not play out in the direction or the timing that you thought it was. But you can be assured that God does not know what it looks like to fail. He's never taken a loss. He doesn't understand what that's like in a very real sense from personal experience because it's never happened. And it didn't happen then, and it won't happen now. It's important to recognize that where the kingdom manifested, where Jesus came to them, was to two guys who were broken. The kingdom is at home among brokenness. Jesus seeks out brokenness. Not because he wants to gawk at the situation, but because he wants to turn it upside down. God takes delight in rescuing. And then God takes those who are rescued and he makes them rescuers. He sends them out to fill that position for other places. God is not moved by your merit because these disciples were so great at what they were doing. God is moved by his mercy. He loves his son. He sees humanity has a great void. And God is very happy to fill it, if you will allow him to. So I want to invite the worship team to come back out. 
And I want us to just consider as we're winding up that Jesus is undefeated. He's undefeated. He is a king that we will never, ever, ever have to worry about experiencing being let down. These guys were terrified of it, that they had misplaced their hope. And Jesus addressed it, and he put that myth to bed. If you're here this morning and you need a touch from the master, don't hide from him. Here's the deal. God cannot heal what he cannot touch. And so it is on you to decide if you're going to allow him to come in tenderness and compassion to those places. And it's not on you in a bad way, but it's a very clear and comforting invitation for you to be drawn into his embrace, drawn into the perspective that he has for you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're just battling some things. Maybe you're here, the, the season is just uh, overwhelming you. You're distracted. You're finding it hard to wait on the Lord, to just settle for his word. Maybe you just need to take a minute and just sit. That's okay. Jesus will sit with you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're wrestling with your life to the point of where you're not sure you want to continue feeling the pain that you're feeling. And I would tell you that that comes from the depths of hell. The enemy is lying to you. The enemy wants to make you believe that there is no hope and there's no way out, and that's not true. Jesus is happy to meet you where you are. Many people have great theology and they know a lot about Jesus and they don't spend any time with him. Don't be that guy. Don't be that lady. Don't miss it. Don't miss the authority of heaven that is in the room right now as God's spirit ministers and fans out in this room. Let Jesus touch you. Let Jesus hit on the things that are bugging you as I'm talking. You can trust him with it. He's not going to shame you. He's not going to push you away. He's going to walk with you. He's going to love you. And he's going to heal you. I'll leave you with Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 4, when it's talking about kingdoms. And it says, where the word of a king is, there is power. And who can say to him, what are you doing? There is a king in the room right now. He's not intimidated. Let him have his way. So if you're here this morning, I don't want to make you uncomfortable. We've all been there. I personally have wrestled with anxiety at a very deep level. But I want to ask you, would you stand so that we can pray with you? If you're wrestling with letting the Lord touch some areas that you've hidden away, just let him have it. Just give it up. What's so great about it that you want to hold on to it? Just be done with it. Put it away. See a few of you guys. Someone in the back over here. Here's what I want to do. If you are around somebody who's standing, would you stand up next to them and put your hand on them? We want to minister to them. We know that the Spirit of God is within His church, is within those who believe. And the Scripture tells us that the same Spirit is there who raised Christ from the dead. There's resurrection power in what Jesus does. And if your life is coming apart, let me encourage you, it's no harder for God to recreate your life than it was for him to form it in the first place. So let him have it. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus. You don't really understand who I'm talking about, but it's attractive and you want to know him. All that you need to know is that he was crushed. He lost his life for you because he was God in the flesh who did that so that he could be the ultimate sacrifice for all the sin in your life 
that is hurting you, it's bogging you down, strangling you. And Jesus has authority over that. And he would have authority over your life if you will give it to him. And we plead the blood of Jesus and we call on the blood of Jesus and we ask him to come and minister to you. And all you have to do is pray a prayer similar to what I will, what I will lead you in. It's not nothing magical about the words. It's what's happening in your heart. But just say, Jesus, I, I need you. Jesus, I ask that you would take my sin, take the filth, Lord, take the brokenness in my life. And would you clean me? Would you forgive me for that? I believe that you are God. I believe that you uh, did these things. You were killed. You were the sacrifice, but you also rose from the dead. And you stand mighty in eternity on my behalf. And I ask that you would take my life. Holy Spirit, for those who are in the room who are experiencing pain for various reasons, experiencing confusion, struggling with core things about who they are and how they live, we ask that you would counsel them. We know that you are the counselor. We know that you bring us into all truth. We know that you are the comforter. So we plead the blood of Jesus and we ask, Lord, that you would bring total and complete healing in these areas. And it may not happen in one moment, but we trust you to do the things that you can do. We love you, Lord. We love you. And we agree with how you feel about those who are standing in need of prayer. And we agree with what you think about them, Jesus. And we ask that you would have your way. Even the things that are too hard for us, you say we can bring it to you because it's easy for you. So we ask that you would have your way this morning, Jesus. Come Holy Spirit. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.